0: Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, episode 14, Nathan and Ainea. Uh, I'm here today with Nathan. Uh, hi, Nathan. Hello.
1: Um,
0: before we get into talking about D&D, you want to tell us about yourself and who you are outside of the game?
1: Oh, sure. Outside of the game, uh, I am a father of four offspring, and we also have several pets. Uh Oh. I was a teacher for a very short time before I came as, became a stay at home dad because we had more children, uh, and teachers make you know less than nurses. But nice. I have been, you know, been online for many, many, many years. I've used the name the Amethyst Dragon for since uh, January of nineteen ninety six, so it's been a while. Okay. Uh, so chances are, if you find you know, the name online somewhere, it's actually me. Cool. So um, I guess that might be longer even than the
0: Psionic Dragons.
1: Those probably came out in second edition, I think. So after that, but um, I may not have had the book that had them until afterwards. Okay, well,
0: you can can claim originality then. That's good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I needed a name for a website and uh, like, okay, what is it going to be? Uh, Well, I like dragons, so we'll do something with dragons in there, and I've always liked the really deep, dark, rich purple of a really big Amethyst Geode, Mm -hmm. so I just combined them in the Amethyst Dragon.
0: Alright, cool. Uh, I
1: just looked it up,
0: and they came out in 2001, so there you go. Really? Yeah. That late? Yeah, they weren't a second edition thing, they were third edition.
1: Huh. Well, then I guess I'm the original. Yeah, there you go. Good job. I'm sure somebody else came up with them for their D&D game before that. Yeah, yeah. um,
0: You know, dragons and wealth, it kind of just makes sense.
1: Yeah. I've been doing D&D stuff for a very long time, but we can get into that. We'll say uh, more than three decades. (laughs) Cool. Uh, What
0: got you into the game, initially?
1: Initially, uh, let's see, I was in seventh grade... And my best friend uh, was given a bunch of first edition AD&D stuff uh, from an uncle or something, and he wanted to play. And the uh, Forgotten Realms novels about the Time of Troubles, with like the gods coming to the world and causing all sorts of chaos, had just come out, and we had read those. And he started running the game, and really didn't know what he was doing. Um, but. It had swords. It had magic. It had dragons, and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I started running the game for myself and my brother. Uh, then, with a couple of friends, it continued on. I, and I just, um, I make homebrew stuff, and that started in high school. I had made myself like an entire booklet, pages and pages and pages of stuff. I recently. probably a year and a half ago now discovered a folder where i had all those pages printed out oh cool so i've been mining that for old ideas to bring to fifth edition a lot of them were okay so many of them were so badly balanced even for the second edition but you know i was a teenager and had no concept of game balance (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you since he's been running the same campaign world for so long if there was anything that you felt like you know you wanted to change or you have changed since you were in high school
1: oh I've added things, I've changed things I've moved things around um, I eliminated a whole continent uh, that was used for like maybe a week when I was first developing the game world and then the players tra- you know, went across the strait to the next continent, and that first continent never got used again.
0: Okay, that's a that's a pretty big one.
1: So eventually I just got rid of it. Um, it has grown considerably, you know, basically as I need it. Um, it's, it's still really one main continent, um, and then some islands, and a big chunk off to the north, and stuff like that. But basically I add things to the world as I need them. Um, and I changed things too. I've changed the names of kingdoms. I've changed the names of all the villages in the kingdoms. I've changed the names of a couple of deities because I decided I didn't really like the original names. Mm-hmm. Um, but being my own world, I can do that anytime I want. Yeah. Um, yeah I, right. I, I, I generally only do that between campaigns, you know, so it's not, you know, confusing the players. Um, but, you know, I can add anything I want, take away anything I want, put anything wherever I want it. Uh, and I have done that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that it's not like established settings don't evolve over time as well. Yeah. And yeah, I guess DMs also can just, you know, take away or add stuff as they want in those settings as well.
1: Yeah. And I actually got started uh, with my Humber World because I was uh, a teenager with basically no money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't afford things like the Forgotten Realms box set or the Greyhawk uh gazetteers and things like that so i just started my own because it was free yep my first map was uh a sheet sheet of printer paper uh and and colored pencils cool yeah i had that actually that first sheet of paper that i used i still have that map
0: oh that's great yeah i still have mine too
1: That piece of paper there were like a dozen other sheets of paper that went with it to like build out the whole map i've lost all of those but for some reason i still have that original one Okay. Cool.
0: Which uh, which region of
1: the map was that? Here, that would have been um, on the left side of the map, about the middle north and south uh, west coast. There is, there was a port city called Ravenport. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got a different name now because it was taken over by orcs, but um, yeah, it was that very like the furthest west you can get uh, on the map there.
0: Okay, I see what you're talking about.
1: And that was where they came over, and it just spread out from there across the north part of the continent and eventually I added like the middle and the south part of the continent, all the islands, things like that. I needed an icy region, so I added the ice reach off to the north,
0: yep, yep, I see that kind of looks kind of like a spider to me with all those little legs going off of
1: it, yep, lots of peninsulas, lots of bays uh, then I'm like, okay, uh, and then probably a few years ago now I added the Isles of Kassan, which are a couple of almost triangular shaped islands off to the northeast.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah.
1: And in my world, that is uh, like the origin of the monks. Okay. Um, And several of the couple of the uh, like Dragonborn subraces I made up and like basically it's a it's a kind of lame mishmash of like East Asian, so like some Chinese influences, some Japanese influence, some uh, Korean influences, uh, you know, a little bit of Pacific Island influences. But it's basically like to explain, you know, how these things, why monks are standard class in in my game. It originated Mm -hmm. there, it kind of migrated over. Okay. Uh, Just like uh, there's a big desert area, Uh, that's the Clithian Empire is what that's called in my game. And that's just a mix of like, uh, Babylonian, uh, Arabian, ancient Egyptian. Is is Persian? It's just all mashed together there. <laughs> okay, Yeah. that Arabian Nights feel. Yeah, bit of that. Yeah, you know, there's there's pyramids. That's where some of the mummies are. Stuff like that.
0: Okay, and you got this. Uh, I'm guessing rainforest thing to the south of uh, the desert
1: yeah that is called the wildlands Um, and it is an area that is basically unsettled it was just dense jungle and forest and some grasslands and I decided at one point uh, in the history of the world that the goddess of nature looked at that and went you know what let's make the animals smarter and so all the animals in the wildlands have like human level intelligence
0: oh okay I was going to ask why there weren't cities in that section, and uh, I guess that kind of makes sense. Is because the animals are keeping people out?
1: Uh, Well, not really. Uh, Before that, it was really just inhospitable uh, because vegetation grows quickly in tropical areas, and it's not good for, you know, structures. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And it's close to the tropics, so there's, you know, bigger rainstorms and stuff like that. It's just not the greatest place to build things and have things that are built survive for people to settle there, so they didn't.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's uh that's a good enough reason too. You know, if there's better places, yeah. go for those.
1: Yeah, there's lots of better places. And there's lots of worse places too. <laughs> but right. you know the, the animals there are pretty much uh they're not far from their, their wild natures. You know, there's a lot of curiosity. They're not a lot of like evil residents there. Mm-hmm. Creatures from there, it's more, you know, there's certainly predators and prey that, that those relationships are still there, but it doesn't really go beyond that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I'm curious about two other things here. You've got this like big crater in the middle of the map. A, it looks like a crater or a caldera or something, that big eye looking circle.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that's exactly what that is. Uh, it is a crater. From sometime before recorded history. There is no record of what happened there, except for me as the map maker. Went, yeah, that's a crater. <laughs> okay, and it, there's a ring of mountains that was like flung up as like the edges of the crater. Um, and there is, uh, that was, oh, I forget, I forget the original name of it. Something to do with dragons, but uh, there was like a little kingdom in there, and then it got taken over by this evil sorcerer, fiend, vampire guy. Uh, And for several years, it was just permanent night inside there.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Blocked out the sun. And so, you know, it was prime hunting ground for vampires and werewolves and all those creatures until, you know, somebody saved the world, well, or saved that kingdom and, you know, brought back the cycle of day and night. Right. So now they've renamed most of the towns after, like, sunrise sunset day uh you know because they didn't have light for so long
0: okay yeah i, I can see that
1: that that's one of those kingdoms where i renamed everything <laughs> <laughs> it's uh well it's got a theme it's good i like it yeah uh, there's a kingdom near there called the shield lands uh all the villages there are protected by magical domes okay all the villages
0: there must be a lot of them
1: yeah there's like eight or nine, I think.
0: Okay. So a small kingdom. Alright.
1: Yeah. It's mostly grasslands and farms and stuff like that. So this this crater
0: looks really big, so if this is from an asteroid, it would be like the like the one that wiped out the
1: dinosaurs or something like that. Could be. I mean I still have dinosaurs in my world, but okay. they're not there. Alright, yeah. <laughs> well, it wiped out all the
0: dinosaurs that were next to the crater. We'll we'll go with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Alright, yeah. Well
0: maybe you'll maybe you'll get to that later on when you're writing stuff.
1: Uh sure I, I mean my players have encountered dinosaurs. Um there's a island and not one of the two like way off to the right in the upper right hand mm-hmm. corner. Um, but there's one closer to the continent. Oh yeah. It's I called see. Death, It's called Deathwater. Um and there's dinosaurs there.
0: Okay. Uh, actually I meant not the, the, the dinosaur thing, I meant like oh, okay. what the the impact meant and what it represented at that time?
1: Oh, it... uh I'd say nothing. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> the impact was me going, I think there should be a big crater here. And we'll put some mountains around it. Yeah, yeah, okay. It was probably like five years later before I actually like named any of the towns or anything in there. Okay. Well. Because the players didn't go there. Yeah. yeah. Most of the... For so much of my world... I have made it in response to needing a place to do something or the players going there and me needing to put something there.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, That minimizes your work, but lets you be responsive. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I don't put any limits on which way the players go in my games. Like, you want to go there? Let's go. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Okay, and the
0: the second question I had is this this purple bit.
1: That is the Crystal Forest. It is uh, in the... (laughs) It's entirely contained within a big uh, kingdom, which which is called the Sylvan Lands, run by elves. But it's also home to most of the Fey creatures in my world. Okay, Um, because they get along with elves, and you know they like forests and you know secluded places. And there's a lot of other forest land in there too. I my world doesn't have a Fey wild. It doesn't have another plane of existence for the Fey. Right. The Fae are natives to the Material Plane.
0: Okay, so you kind of have... This is kind of a Fey Wild-ish section on the Material Plane?
1: Sure. I, there's weird stuff there, but there's, there can be weird stuff anywhere. But one of the big features of the Crystal Forest are these... Uh, they're actually called the Crystal Trees. They look and grow like normal trees, but... The wood is semi-transparent and kind of purplish. The Mm -hmm. leaves are like purples and blues and just the solid purple is easier to work with on the map. Um, But purples, blues, um, some pinks in there, and then the leaves are slightly transparent until they fall off and then they die. And then they turn brown like normal leaves do. Hmm. Okay. But there's just this whole section of forest that grows that way that's cool
0: there's actually some experimental solar panels that work that way too where they're transparent so they absorb some light but allow it to penetrate to other panels below the top level layer
1: i haven't heard about uh panels below but i've heard it as a coating on windows
0: okay yeah similar concept where you're just trying to not use all of the light and have it go yep. through to somewhere else so yeah
1: that makes sense too that
0: there might have been a better application that people figured out for that specific style of engineering example. Yeah. Okay, so the purple is all that like it's crystal forest because the yep. trees and leaves look like crystals.
1: Yeah, because they're they're semi-transparent, um crystal-ish. I mean there's there's actual like crystal formations and stuff scattered around. Um, but the trees themselves are why the forest has that name. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds very like magical and mystical and also lines it up totally with is. the fairy idea that you have for it.
1: Yeah, my current players do not want to go back there. <laughs> they got caught in kind of a, a travel loop. Not so much a time loop, but they kept ending up back in the same place after a day of travel. Oh, over, like, and like over in those role-playing and over. games,
0: JRPGs were like, you have to... <laughs> go left and then right and then up or something to escape.
1: Yeah. There's actually a, a region in uh, my game. It's, there's a little town called Plains Cross. It's in the middle of the continent, basically. And if you start walking west from there, you're just in this open grassland that looks the same in every direction. And so you have to travel a certain distance and then change your direction to a specific direction. And eventually, if you do it right, you'll get out of there and you'll end up in this big valley. Uh, it's called the Valley of the Lost but going there is key to getting a magic amulet that lets you access some magical travel portal gates they look look a lot like the Stargates because you know I'm a nerd Mm -hmm. and it was useful when I migrated my world to Neverwinter Nights Um, this was back in the early 2000s and I didn't have an in-person game anymore and Neverwinter Nights was out and I was like I can do anything with this. Uh, so I had, and my world of India, was an online 24-7 world for 11 years.
0: You actually got it to work on Neverwinter Nights? There's so much like effort that goes into that. I had no life.
1: <laughs> wow, that's... Other than that. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I built a homebrew world in Neverwinter Nights and I pushed that game way beyond where the designers thought it would go.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: You know, I added things, like, I could program things like teleport spell and Iune stones and uh, <laughs> summoning spells. And and one of it was these portals that you put in the right combination, portal opens, your character steps across it, and you get sent to the right part of the world that you were supposed to go. And so I brought those into the fifth edition version of my world. Okay. So yeah, some of my things originated in the online incarnation.
0: Yeah, neat. They have that in fourth edition too, with the the portals. Like, as they change teleport to being a ritual portal thing instead of a individual effect.
1: I I would not know about that because I never actually touched fourth edition. I went from second edition in high school and then college and then uh my adult life when I lived in Arizona, and then when 3rd edition came out, I bought the player's handbook, and it sat on a shelf for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I read through it one night, and I was like, ah, I guess I'm changing all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so I changed the 3rd edition, because it was so much easier to use than 2nd edition. And my players had no problem changing at all. Um, and then Never When I Just Came Out, that was 3rd edition. So even when I didn't have an in-person game, I was doing third edition, and then when my Neverwinter Nights server died, like the actual machine, because I had it in my basement, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> the motherboard and hard drive went, um, and I only hit—I was down to like one player a day anyway. Yeah. Okay. Then I started looking for D and D in person, and it was fifth edition by then. I had no reason to pick up fourth, and then you know, the little bit I looked at it I went, you know what? Fifth is better. I'll go with fifth. And I, I jumped right to fifth edition, too, as soon as I, you know, I uh, borrowed a copy of the player's handbook and read through it and went, OK, I'm buying one. <laughs> OK. Yeah. And then, yeah, I've been migrating stuff to fifth edition ever since. And I, I do a lot of homebrewing. It's not just my my world, which we're talking about today, but like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other things that I make for the game. I think my current count is about thirteen hundred. That's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, I'm writing a book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that as your your Discord like uh, activity thing.
1: Yeah, I've been doing monsters the last couple of day- days, getting those into the thing, and those take a lot longer than spells and magic items, um, just because all the formatting for the stat blocks. Oh yeah, yeah. If you have to, anyway. Homebrew world is what we're discussing tonight. <laughs>
0: yes. A quick comment there is like if you do yep. have to borrow a book, um, actually, just doing it through the library is effective. There was a game system I wanted to learn about more, um, the the Dune system, because the, the movie oh, okay. came out. Um, I, I like, didn't
1: think of like the public library, but that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Um. So your your public your local library might not have a copy of a specific. System like that, or it might be lent out to someone else, and you mm-hmm. don't want to wait for a hold. Um, yeah, but you can do an interlibrary loan, so that's that's yeah. something I've been using those. a lot.
1: I get those a lot. Our local library is part of a, a system that covers like the western half of our state. Mm-hmm. Even back to my hometown, which is kind of funny, it's like an hour away.
0: <laughs> but yeah, the interlibrary loans are. They'll, I mean, they'll do it local if they can, but they, it's an international system. Oh. Gotcha. So I think I once I got a book from like Costa Rica or something
1: that is quite a distance
0: yep and you know it's the library so it was uh I wouldn't say free paid for by taxes and that's that's a more expensive version of what you can do with it um, but you know I didn't have to pay a thing for it it's you know I used the service there you go if you do want to try out a book that's a, a way to do it that oh yeah you can um legitimately yeah.
1: There's there's a couple of game stores near me too where I can go, Hey, does anybody have this? Can I take a look at it? Yeah, yeah, obviously that too.
0: Yeah, okay. So your your campaign world about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so one of my basic questions is asking about like physical stuff, and I think we kinda just walked through that while I was looking at the map here. And I'll I'll post a picture on the episode notes. Cool. So I had another question about your your gods. You said you'd Designed your own pantheon. Um, you want to tell me
1: more about that? Uh, sure. Um, when I was first starting out, um, when you're writing adventures, you need, like you need you need a cult of this or something of that, and I just decided that you know what, I'm going to come up with my own pantheon of deities. I'm not going to use any of the ones from the Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Kryn. Or, you know, any of the published worlds, because at this point I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my whole world here. I might as well, it might as well have its own gods. I'm like, okay, uh, what would be a good number? 20. Uh, we'll have 20 gods and just everybody is going to worship the same gods. There's not going to be a pantheon for elves, a pantheon for dwarves, a pantheon for humans. It's just, if the gods exist in a world of magic, they're going to make themselves known to everybody. So it is a pantheistic thing. You may have a patron deity that you kind of more associate with or, you know, you really do most of your prayers to, especially with clerics. But you still offer prayers to most of the other gods in appropriate circumstances. Right. Um, You know, going on a long journey, you pray to the God of travel. If that journey happens to be by sea, sea, you also pray to the God of the seas. Um, Yep. So when I was making them up, I'm like, okay, 20 is a good number. You know what? Uh, Generally gods have genders, so let's do half male, half female. And then I'm like, okay, what do I need gods of? Well, I'm going to need a god of death. I'm going to need a god of life. Well, there's two right there. Uh, Every world seems to have a sun god because, you know, there's the sun. Mm -hmm. So I got one of those. He's also the god of the moons.
0: Okay.
1: Just because. Um, and light and darkness. I'm he. He's like an opposition god, opposed to himself. Okay. Well, more more balance than opposition.
0: Like Janus.
1: Yeah. So, if you for fifth edition, if you have a cleric with the light domain, you're worshiping this guy. If you have a cleric of the darkness domain, which is one that I homebrewed, it's this guy, the <laughs> same guy. All right. Um. Oh. We're going to need elemental gods, so I got four of those. We're going to need a god of battle, because most of them have it. You know, Ares, Mars, actually, that's kind of the same guy. Um, (laughs) So I got one of those, uh, a god of travel, a god of magic. uh, uh, I need a god for paladins, because this started out in 2nd edition, and all paladins were like lawful good, and this is where their power came from, was from a god, so I'm like, okay, I got one of those. Yep. A uh, weather god. Erroneous. Why not? Uh nature god. Sure. Um we're gonna need a forging god. Probably. I mean dwarves are really into that sort of thing, so yeah. one of the gods is gonna be dedicated to that. I'm like, oh, we're gonna need some evil gods. Well, let's do several types of evil. Uh we have I have one, his name is Ragnor. Uh, he is the god of destruction and strife and insanity and chaos. He is a legitimately insane god. And a lot of you know, madness comes from them and a lot of crazy people follow that guy. But then we have the other type of evil, another big type of evil, which I represent as Sorgoth. Uh, he's the god of snakes and poison, assassins, murder, corruption, lies, and foul play. He's probably the evilest of the evil deities. And not a lot of people worship him. Very some people haven't even heard of him. Mm, okay. Because those that like worship him tend to do it in secret because he's really about, you know, like secretive stuff. Gotcha. The only ones who like really openly worship him are the dark elves. I do not have a spider goddess named Loth or Loth. In my world, <laughs> worship by the drow. I have dark elves. They don't call themselves drow. Um, and they're not really like born evil, but in the distant past, a servant of this uh, god of foul play and lies convinced the elves that something bad was going to happen and led them underground. And since then, it's basically just become a cult that controls all the Dark Elves. Okay. The ones that it doesn't are ones who, you know, have escaped to the surface and met people and been exposed to the outside world and gone, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not going back. <laughs>
0: this is definitely a more realistic take on that because, like, like, the... I mean, the, the lore on Dark Elves and you know, the official setting is just, like ludicrously like natively evil instead of having a you know led astray by an evil cult is you know more yeah. of something you can actually imagine. Yeah. And I like the snake thing too, because of the, the poison connection. So you don't even really need to reflavor them that much because it's still like it's a poisonous creature.
1: Yeah. And so there's like like in their decor there's a lot of like cobra and snake themed things. Like the god symbol is like the marking you'd see on the back of a cobra's hood.
0: Oh, is that what that is? I was trying to figure it out. Yeah,
1: yep. That's what that one is. Yeah, most of the symbols, uh, the holy symbols, have some association with you know what they are. You you got a maple leaf; looks awfully Canadian, but it's just a maple leaf, stylized maple leaf uh, for the goddess of nature and um, god of light and dark is a, a circle; it's half white and half dark.
0: I should note to the listeners here that I'm following along on amethyst-dragon.com, which is where Nathan's got all of his stuff on INEA. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: Aenea. Yeah. Uh, amethyst-dragon.com slash Aenea would be like the the campaign website. Um, if you go to just amethystdragon.com, it'll shunt you to like a sub page of that. That's like just all my <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of homebrews. Um, Ah. But if you take off the little HB file name at the end, it'll bring you to the campaign website. I see. Okay. Well, so yes, uh, yeah, that website.
0: Yeah, so that's where I'm looking at the campaign map, um, and then all of the the symbols as well. So that that's why I was like talking about sword because I'm looking at that that web while we're talking about it. And
1: yep. Yeah. Um, there's one other evil-ish deity, uh, Harcourt, the god of the seas. And he's not evil in like a you know wants to be mean to everybody. It's evil. It is a a self centered. He wants things for himself. He's the youngest of the gods, Mm -hmm. and he's basically like a self centered teenager compared to the other gods. Gotcha. So pray to him. You know, make offerings to him when you're going on a sea voyage or you're going fishing out to sea or something. He's happy.
0: (laughs) Just wants his stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of uh, clerics of Harcourt, the God of the Seas, who are really nice people. Eldrion, a goddess of magic, that is one of the ones that I renamed. That one, her name was originally Mistara, and then I was looking through old stuff, and there's a campaign world, campaign setting with that name. I'm like, yeah. And people keep misidentifying her as uh, Maestra. And I'm like, no, this isn't the Forgotten Realms, no. So I'm changing her name. Uh
0: yeah. That's, <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, that happens. Uh, so, you you mentioned, like, wanting to create evil gods, and it made me think of, um, the Kingdoms of Calamar setting, which had a ton of evil gods, because it tried to have it be, like, balanced between good and evil choices.
1: Mmm, not a setting I'm familiar with. Uh, do you know the Knights of the Dinner
0: Table comic?
1: Yes, I used to read it when it was in Dragon Magazine.
0: Right. Um so after
1: Okay, so Dragon magazine, for those of you who are younger, was this thing. It was printed <laughs> on paper and it would be delivered to your house.
0: <laughs> yes. Um and it's basically been replaced by the unearthed Arcana blog article things that they do. So it's, a, it's kinda what it is now. It used that it did have a, a digital publication for a while, but that has also since gone away.
1: Yeah, I looked at that and that was not as not as anywhere near as fun to read. Mm-hmm. The old one had comic, had some comic strips in it that were regular, and Nights of the Dinner Table was published like once a month in there.
0: Yeah, and it also had like those cool connections with like different published works. So like they did, um, they did a few ish like I think two issues about like the Shannara series, mm. and that got me into reading the Shannara books, and that they did that for a couple different uh, fantasy works like that.
1: Yeah, I've still got my my parents kept all those magazines. And then they gave them to me a couple of years ago, so they're sitting on a shelf in my basement right now. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I've I've kept my favorites, but yeah, I, I did definitely did not keep all of them.
1: <laughs> the artwork on the covers was always amazing.
0: Yes, they are very good
1: for that. But yeah, I did I didn't feel the need to balance good and evil with the gods. Um, I just basically I made the gods up for purposes that I would need in the world. Uh, I need an elemental cult. I need some, you know. Evil cultists, or they're probably going to be Sorgoth followers. I need, you know, evil destructive hordes coming in. You know what? They're probably going to be following Ragnar because he strives on, you know, strife and lives on strife and chaos. Mm. So a lot of those were just like, what would I have a use for?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a follows the rest of your design philosophy.
1: Yeah, it's I don't tend to put in a lot of work where I don't need it and if i need something now i make it up yeah so one of the benefits of having my own homebrew world for the last 30 some years is i run a weekly campaign it is 4 hours once a week and i'd say i improvise i i improv at least 90% of every session <laughs> when i when i was younger i would spend six, seven, eight hours a week planning a session and then the players would blow through it in like four hours. Well I was running like five or six hour sessions at that point because I was younger. Um yep. but now I I don't. I improvise most of it and it also frees up the players to go where they want. I don't have to try to limit them to what I've planned already. So that's one of the benefits of having a long term homebrew world is I know where the stuff is I know what is probably an area in an area they're going to. And if not, I'm going to make something up.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're breaking a connection somewhere else that you have with a, an established setting. That's my feeling
1: mm-hmm. is that. I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> so I always feel like that's I one can. of the things um nothing is canon in my world as far as the players are concerned. Unless they've experienced it in that campaign.
0: Yes, that's a thing that I'm going to be playing with. No, that was from a, a different timeline, so that doesn't count anymore. <laughs> um, I was going to say earlier the reason I brought up nice the dinner table is that after leaving Dragon Magazine, um, they moved to uh, Kenzer and Company, which is the company that publishes the. Kings of Calamar setting I was talking about with the evil gods. Oh, gotcha. It wasn't just some random, let's talk about Dragon Magazine.
1: <laughs> oh, there's lots of random in D&D, but also lots of tangents. Side quests. Yes. <laughs> Another thing about an improv world, uh, anything can become a side quest. If you describe something and the players go, wait a second, I want to know more. Let's go there. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And and in game events have actually like altered the world too. Um they're used in the on um, if you're looking at the map, the upper left hand quarter of the continent used to be like five different kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um during one campaign, probably well, that's gotta be twenty years ago now. Um the orcs started to spread from their little area that they controlled and they just totally overran these five kingdoms in a matter of like a year and the players were involved with that didn't weren't able to actually stop it you know that's that's the problem with dice rolls sometimes is you fail mm-hmm. and now the orcs ha- for a couple hundred years now have had this empire of their own
0: wow kind of surprised they were able to hold it on for that long
1: Orcs in my world uh, are just as smart as humans, but they're they're a very strength based, warrior based culture. In general, the, the gray orcs in particular, um, I like to describe them as like the Klingons in Star Trek: The Next Generation, mm-hmm. except without you know bothering with all that honor crap. Okay. <laughs> so they respect strength. They respect uh, earned authority. Um, and the ones who are in charge actually have some very strong allies. They have ogres on their side that have helped them keep control and keep things running. Uh, and ogres in my world are a lot stronger than your regular D&D ogres. Oh. They basically replace hill giants. I don't have hill giants in my world. I have ogres. And they're definitely smarter than hill giants are. So they're... They are strong. Uh so the some orcs made allies with them and helped keep the other orcs in line, the other orc tribes in line, and they've had this empire that has been going strong for a couple centuries now. Okay. Um I don't have half orcs in my world. Uh, but I do have full blooded orcs that can be player characters. Gotcha. I have one in my current campaign. Um and I turn them into You know, with fifth edition, I made him a base race with sub races: gray elves, forest elves, snow elves, (laughs) orcs, Uh gray orcs, forest orcs, snow orcs. Um, So you have you can look at like pictures of them and go, "Oh, those those are a lot of artwork." Hey, those most of the gray ones are there. Oh, there's why is this orc green? Oh, that's a forest orc.
0: Yeah, he's got to blend in, right?
1: Yeah, they're not as warlike; they're more reclusive. Uh, and people of the world recognize the general societal difference between uh, gray orcs, which command this huge empire over here, and forest orcs, which are found in a lot of different kingdoms. You just don't see them that often.
0: Because they're hiding in the trees.
1: They they protect the fort. They protect their homes and stay. They're very much homebodies. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. I was going to say about the empire thing, not just that it orcs aren't usually something you'd associate with a. Mm-hmm long-living civilization. But yeah. also that uh, most civilizations don't last several hundred years. Yeah.
1: Well, in a D&D game I can fudge things. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, yeah, the, uh, the Orcs Empire's been there for a couple hundred years. The Elven Kingdom has been there for close to 5,000 years.
0: Yeah, see, that I can believe more because of the the longevity of the species there. Yeah. Whereas for orcs, they live about the same length as humans, so you can sort of impose human yep. expectations of civilization rise and collapse on
1: them. Yep. Um my world I have standardized coins. Uh you know, cu- copper, silver, gold, mm-hmm. platinum. Right. I, I don't do Electrum. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody who does. Uh but that was the L's fault. Because A long time ago they were the ones who were doing like the overland trade with all these different peoples and it just kind of became standardized. So even new coins, they'll be like the same types of coins, and they might have like the current ruler's face on one side of them, but the other side will always be a rather common design. So like all the copper coins have a a, an image of a lantern on one side of them. Silver ones have a star design on them the gold ones have a stylized dragon and the platinum have uh, an image of two of the, the two moons of the world and so like throughout history you have this common coin you know this common design of coinage even if one side of it changes occasionally just out of tradition and convenience and so like your NPCs will not really respond like you know how many gold pieces of this no you say how many dragons is this or how many gold dragons is this? Okay. You know, how many how many copper pieces is it? No. It. How many lanterns? <laughs> Just a little personalization there that still uses the default coins. Especially because I like the powers of 10.
0: Yes, yes, that part is is nice. Um Yeah, the I've I like that like how immersive that type of stuff is, but I've never had the patience to have customized coinage like that where I have to keep track of which is which and get buy-in from my players for keeping track of which is which as well.
1: Well, part of it is I've used it for so long. Um, The coinage names is probably the end, probably about 20 years now uh, that I've done that. Um, And so I just, that's when I'm introducing characters, players to the world. That's one of the things that comes up early and gets repeated And they're always using coins, so I keep repeating the names. Eventually they start repeating the names, and it just, you know, becomes settled. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and gold dragons, there's a bit of, like, cross pollinization because I think Game of Thrones has that as well. And Hmm. silver star is like a a sheriff's badge. Sure. Uh, So that makes it a little bit easier to remember for the, the names that you picked. Uh, The
1: silver coin is the holy symbol of the goddess of luck. Oh, okay. So that circle with a star in it, that's one side of the coin. You know, flip a coin, there's luck right there. That's why that's her symbol. Yeah, okay. All right.
0: And the the lantern, I was thinking the others kind of made sense with what they were doing.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the lantern is just because it's cheap and easy to make a design. And they're very, very... Lanterns are common. People use them. All right. I'll take it. That and I needed something just for the copper coins. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: so you're running one campaign right now? Is that right?
1: Yes. Uh, for a while, I was running two weekly campaigns with two different groups. Um, but schedules fell apart for one of the groups. And then I tried to start up a second camp- another campaign that night with different players and Then my schedule changed a bit. I'm like, okay, I'll go with my one group. So my current campaign has been going for more than two years now. Okay. Same group of five players. Um, When I was running the two, it was really because I needed something to do during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: I moved online and because I had played in person and then the pandemic started. So we switched to online and then that game kind of fell apart. So I started a new one and then I'm like, I got more time. I'm going to start a second one every week. And that was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. It was great till the one group fell apart. And I'm like, okay. Oh, look, changing schedule, but my one Oh, and one of the events from one of the group bled over into the other group. Oh, that's cool. Because I can do that. I set I set them starting at the same time, like same day of the year. For both campaigns. And you know, groups go at different paces and stuff. So one of them was like further ahead in the year. And then something happened. And when this other group ended up in the same place, there was this big change. They're like, what is going on here? Like, you don't know. (laughs) The part of the sea is frozen in the middle of summer. Yeah, there there was an incident with a, a giant pearl. That fell into the sea in an interaction with ice magic, and oh my god, the major port city where they all started.
0: <laughs> this is just cat's was iced cradle. In.
1: Was iced in. Oh, and let's see. That ice also is a convenient bridge uh, for undead to come across from the island where they bury all their dead from the city. Oh no. Yeah, because normally, even if you know things rise to the dead, what are they going to do? Walk along to the bottom of the sea where there are flesh eating monsters down there. That love corpses? I mean,
0: I I was going to say yes, but I guess not.
1: Yep. Yeah, so yeah, there's stuff that lives under there that eats corpses. Um, So it's convenient for the city. Convenient protection. Oh, also, the ice went all the way to the island of Deathwater. So there's dinosaurs coming across, Uh T-Rexes. Beholders live over there. Yeah, a couple of those came across. <laughs> this is terrible. But that's you can do that when you have you know long term games and well actually any any DM can do that sort of thing. That's not a, that's it's not even just a homebrew thing. You need, any DM that's listening, pff, go wild. <laughs> that's this that's what this game is.
0: So that that pearl dropping in and freezing the ocean sounds a lot like the. The Plot to Cat's Cradle. Have
1: you read that? I have not. Um,
0: it's a Kurt Vonnegut like science fiction book. And one of the plot okay. points is that you can have a different type of uh, ice crystal that's actually, like, you know, uh, has less energy than water. So if you have a crystal that is that that configuration and you drop it into the ocean, the entire ocean will release that extra energy and go into a lower energy state of that type of crystal. Hmm. So then the entire ocean would solidify.
1: That is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, this one was not the entire sea, but it was enough to be uh very concerning for this city that relies on trade. Yes. And the nat- uh, and the natural barrier of the sea.
0: Yes, and not having zombies and dinosaurs and beholders in their immediate vicinity. Yep.
1: So, currently that group is about a month and a half away from solving that problem. Okay. They made a deal with a like giant fire dragon that's going to come and like breathe fire. And then it's going to steal the pearl. Wow, well, of course. Or somebody else, there's also a wizard that's really interested in the pearl, so there might be a fight over that. The pearl might sink into the sea, and they have ice on the bottom of the sea. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, that, that doesn't solve the undead problem, because now you've frozen all the flesh-eating monsters. Exactly. And then the undead can just walk on the bottom.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there's this still... It's not guaranteed to work when the fire dragon comes, but it's highly likely, because they've gone on this big, long quest to... You know, along with visions from a god to, you know, <laughs> find this dragon.
0: Yeah, this, this is cool stuff. I like the the start having to ally with it's a is it a red dragon or one of the um, the metallic ones.
1: It's one I made up. Oh, okay. Its name is Molten Flame. It's an ancient ancient dragon. It's a it's a fire dragon. All right, there you go. Yeah, one of the things about my world too is dragon colors don't necessarily align with their breath weapons oh. or their their element. Okay. They often do, but it's not a set in stone thing. Um, I had one player not in my current group but in the group that broke up she's a newer to the group uh, was quite upset when they were facing off a black against a black scale dragon and it breathed fire on them uh yeah you gotta look out for that and then acid yeah I loved the the dragon breath
0: feats from third edition that so you could
1: give the dragons. I don't think I ever saw
0: those. Uh, they were in the Draconomicon book, so it's probably an easy one to
1: miss. That would explain it. I did not have that one. I had the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And That was it. Everything else I made up? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I mean, there
0: is some stuff you missed, but the Draconomicon uh, would have definitely been yeah. one to skip out on, but I just love dragons, so I got that one.
1: Yeah. Wizards of the Coast may not like me a whole lot because I'm not a big spender. Um, like, I don't buy any of their adventure modules because I never run adventure modules, ever. I've got my own homebrew world. I have adventures for people. And I've the one time I ever used it in the past, uh, I ran part of the Temple of Elemental Evil a return to Temple Elemental Evil? Yeah, whichever one. And that lasted like a month. And that was just my kit- with my kids. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but other than that, I I haven't bought like anything out of the abyss or any of those.
0: I've run some modules, but that was back when I was like learning how to DM. So having like mm-hmm. the setup adventure was was helpful for learning that stuff.
1: Oh yeah. If you don't know what you're doing, they're they're good examples of what to start with. You know, here's room descriptions and here's a way of describing this room and this room and this room and you know, things you can put in there. I'm like, what is that? Let me look that up so I know what I'm talking about. What's a sconce?
0: Ha! <laughs> <laughs> so it's spelled like scone. Is it something you eat? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I... I find it's kind of inspirational to read through them. for like Not like, you know, psyching me mm-hmm. up to go vote or something, but coming up with ideas. Yeah. Um, so like the Dragonomicon, for example, also has like prestige classes for dragons. And one of them is the dragon slowly turning into a god. Um, so I actually used that in uh, my, not one campaign of DMing now, but the one before that, where there was a a dragon that was taking levels in that prestige class. So it was trying to just kill a whole bunch of people so that it would gain enough experience points to level up.
1: (laughs) That's cool. Um, So So it was XP farming. Yes, exactly. Um,
0: (laughs) So, uh, yeah. um, You know, it's just something I read there and it turns into a whole campaign idea where there's this villain that's that and, you know, we had i think like 14 levels of adventures in that campaign
1: yeah anything can be inspiration uh one of my kids uh she's running a a curse of strahd but she's pulling in stuff from all these like uh podcast things she listens to Mm -hmm. um there's some scp stuff uh right now it's something about like uh, like the 12 Fears or something like that. And she's like tying that into characters uh, from the Curse of Strahd book. And I was like, yeah, all that inspiration and in mixing things and changing things up. And Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Be creative. Cool to, make it your own. Cool to listen to her talk about her ideas for that. And, you know, so, you know, what do you think of this? And why are these things killing the players directly? because they're clearly powerful enough to do it i'm like what if they're protect you know something's protecting them what if they're the hope they are the embodiment of hope and so these big fears recognize something in them and so can't touch them directly they got to work through their their minions (laughs) so throwing ideas back and forth it's that is one of the you know, I don't run the adventure modules myself, but she's adapting that to make it something her own. Yeah. Which is cool. That that's a
0: really great experience to have with your kids too. Like I, I used to do that with my dad. So that's that's cool to see that you're you're doing it with her too. Yeah,
1: She's not running with me in the game, it's her friends. <laughs> and people online I'm I, like okay yeah I know
0: it's that's, that's the same thing like I was doing with my dad where I was like he he yeah. t- taught me oh. to play but yeah. then I wasn't playing with him anymore so I was asking yeah. him for advice on you know what what makes yeah. sense for this and how do I get to this specific scene that I want to happen
1: yep. and I've made a couple of maps of like uh, houses and stuff for uh, the Ravenloft uh, the, the Strahd module right. like a, a mansion and a brewery and stuff like that because I have a a program downloaded called Dungeon Draft for making, like, the battle maps. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then from the same guy, I have a a program called World Draft. No, Wonder Draft. Wonder Draft. Uh, And that's what I used to make the world map for my campaign world. Yep. Like, the third... This is, like, the third iteration of it. You know, it went from colored pencils and paper to a really, really bad computer graphic um and then now I've turned it into something much nicer looking thanks to you know that program
0: yeah that's good I like it
1: it was it was 30 bucks it was worth it yes I think dungeon draft is about the same price definitely worth it
0: yeah I've been using um campaign cartographer and occasionally dungeon designer
1: I've heard of Campaign Cartographer. I haven't heard of Dungeon Designer, but then again, I haven't. You know, I wasn't looking for like dungeon making software until I was playing online and yeah. going, "Oh, I'm on roll twenty, so I'm going to need uh, I'm going to need some stuff here."
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, dungeon Designer was made by the Campaign Cartographer people. They have ah. Campaign Cartographer, Dungeon Designer, and City Designer, which are all basically the same program. There's not much that's different between them. You just have different assets and slightly different tools.
1: That's cool. One of the things I haven't had since 2nd Edition is an actual, like, maps of my cities. Like, I know them, so I can, you know, improvise. Yeah, you're going this way for this and this way for that. and Like, actual, like, maps that the players can see of the cities, I don't have.
0: I found that city maps are helpful if you actually are... Facing an adventure in the city, but if mm-hmm. it's not happening there, then it doesn't really matter. It's like you know, okay, yeah, you're in the you're in the merchant district, so you go to a shop, and okay, now you're going to go over to the your hotel where you're staying. So you're going to walk for you know twenty minutes to get there. Yep, but knowing that the hotel is in the northeast side of the city and the merchant place is in the southeast doesn't. <laughs> Does that improve how you experience the city? Not really.
1: Uh, it depends on how descriptive you get, I guess, and how much time they spend there. Like the starting city where uh, my current campaign started um, is kind of in almost like a bowl shaped port. Uh, and as you go downhill towards the docks, you get poorer. <laughs> they actually have the docks district so it's walled off. But you go through and the streets that run down to the docks. So that's the poor district down by all the smelly fish and everything. And then you go uphill and that's where the market is. And that's where the nicer houses are. And then if you go to the, to one side and up a little higher, that's where the snobby people live and where the big temples are and where the palace is. Yeah. Like you
0: said, if they're spending more time there, it always becomes like yeah. an adventure location. Yep. Is that? Yep. You're not necessarily having combat encounters there, but you are having encounters there, like you know, social ones. So it
1: becomes they've had some combat in the streets, and that's where the uh, little battle maps on the virtual tabletop come in handy. Like here, you are. Um, I've done a couple of them in Theater of the Mind too, that are just like smaller skirmishes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but uh, I've found Discord and Roll Twenty work really well for people to play from across <laughs> I have one player out on the west coast I have one player down south somewhere I've got two players that are local because they were part of my like in-person tabletop before COVID mm-hmm. and I've got one player who lives in Poland wow okay <laughs> that's a that's a different and, and and they're all together in this world again because the party was split for a while <laughs>
0: Uh, how on earth do you line up with the, the time zone for the, the Poland person? Are they like a night shift worker or something like that?
1: She takes a nap and then she gets up to play the game. Okay. And, and it's like the early morning over there by the time it's done. So will I say goodnight to everybody else and good morning to her. <laughs> I, I guess
0: it's hard to find games in Poland because I can't imagine wanting to do that big of a, yeah. a time zone shift for her d and d but uh, all yeah, right, cool. was,
1: evidently she went to school in Nebraska, I think she went to college there for a little while, like an exchange deal or something, okay um, so you know she was familiar with parts of the u s and evidently, the time lined up at the beginning of the pandemic, so she keeps playing,
0: you know the pandemic was just sort of just one long day. It was how I described it, yeah, <laughs> it's a two month long day. Cool. Uh, in your in your survey, you mentioned that you like to play with new players a lot.
1: Oh, love it! Yeah, um, like my current group, they were basically all newbies. Um, the two pit that I'd played in person had only played fifth edition for a few months, like maybe six months before that, mm-hmm. uh, with me here. Um, my brother hadn't played since second edition, and he he's one of them. So they're both. New to fifth edition, and like four of my players were brand basically new to D anD D at all, and I picked new players on purpose for this campaign, um, because it was beginning of the pandemic, and everybody was wanting to play, and so many people were, you know, having trouble finding games online. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I purposely picked people who didn't get the chance to play before. I'm sure there's a lot of DMs who only pick like experienced players, so I picked the inexperienced players, and I totally got the luck of the draw on this. I had like 190 people apply. Wow. Well, that was the first game. The second game was like 100 people. So, like, uh, and that was my first group that fell apart, had the 190 people apply to it, because I left the application thing open for a week. Because so many of the listings I had seen are like people taking, you know, the first people to contact them would be the ones who got in. And so if people weren't there to jump on that, like, in the first 10 minutes, they didn't get into a game. Yeah. So I left the thing open for a week and I have a questionnaire that's weird. <laughs> on Roll20, it's just this list of questions, you know, answer these questions. And most of them have nothing to do with D&D. But it helps me get a feel for the players. Okay. You know, their level of creativity, uh, looking for uh, shared pop culture references. Um, Because there'd be a movie, you know, here's these three Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Which one's your favorite? (laughs) Granted, you know, it was Conan the Barbarian, Terminator, and True Lies.
0: Okay.
1: You know, which one was your favorite? Everybody said Terminator because it's the only one they'd seen. I was like, what? (laughs) What?
0: I haven't seen True Lies, but I've seen Conan. I, oh,
1: yeah. you should. That's actually my favorite because I, I'm a big fan of action comedy. Like the, the mix. Um, so True Lies is actually my favorite of those three. Although they all have their merits.
0: Oh, I have heard about this one. Okay. No, I, I saw the poster and
1: recognized it. Yep. Very good movie. Yeah. Um you know, so those shared cultural references and I throw out like Spaceballs references. The homebrew stuff I make, a lot of it is like, here's a, here's an idiom or a reference to a movie. And now it's something usable in d d
0: Oh, cool. Can you give like an example?
1: Uh, sure. Let me go to my list here. One second. Nope. That's not it. Nope. That's not it. Why do I have? Okay. <laughs> I gotta go to the right one. That's got all the stuff. Uh, most coveted ring. It is a magic cursed ring. That um, when you see it, you want it. When you have it, you don't want to give it up. Yep. Guess what that one's a reference to. I would guess the, <laughs> the one ring from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a, a potion of the fairy's touch. That one is a Legend of Zelda reference. Then I have a potion of the bad fairy's touch. Ah. Uh... That is a reference to a little web show called The Legend of Neil. Okay, I don't know that one. Um, I highly recommend that one, unless you are not an adult. <laughs> um, it was created by uh, Sandeep Parikh, who played Zabu in The Guild. Uh, I don't know that either. Okay, so that's that was another web series, Felicia Day, um... Was like the creator of that, but you know, I saw that and I was like, oh my god, that's so funny. Um, marvelous uh, miracle of Max is a marvelous mixture, it's a potion coated in chocolate because it makes it go down easier. Oh, right, okay, Princess it back to life. And that, those are just some of them,
0: okay, cool.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the, the creation theme there, yeah. Um, basically. Anything can be an inspiration for homebrew, and it often is, even if it's weird. Like, I have a, a subclass. Um, you know how some people can't spell rogue? Yes. They they move the U to the wrong spot? Yeah, rouge. Yeah, I made a rogue subclass with that.
0: Does it have the power to fly?
1: No, uh, it has the power to get angry. Oh, okay. The, it is the Rouge Rager. It is it is a, a rage rogue. <laughs> like Barbarian Rage. And when and you know, when they see blood, when they see red. Then they see red. Uh, and they can like sneak attack with a heavy weapon while they're raging. Oh cool.
0: I like that. That's I always wanted to have that on my on my thief when I was playing be fun yeah i was saying can they fly because of the the rouge character in sonic is like a sneaky bat
1: ah uh, so, i have not played or watched any sonic stuff uh it was
0: she's a pretty minor character so even if you yeah. had i wouldn't be surprised if you would missed her but yeah she's yep. called rouge but is sneaky like a rogue and can also
1: fly because she's a bat. Gotcha. Yeah, I went with Rouge, as in the color red. Yeah, yeah I saw the connection there. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Just because minor misspelling. <laughs>
0: right. Do you have a homebrew that's, like, a favorite
1: of your players? Ah, uh, I can't say, really. Um, Not that I can think of. I can look at the... I mean, some of the players are using homebrew. Um, like... The one from Poland, she's using my Winter Archfey Warlock. There's a Fire Domain Cleric, um, and they're all using my homebrew races. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I turned humans into a base race with sub-races. Gotcha. Uh, orcs base race sub-races. Um, the half-elves I've renamed as Sylvani, and they have sub-races based on their elven parentage. Cool. So I've got one that's a uh, half wood elf and one that's uh half dark elf.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about doing something like that for, for my campaign where I have the elves from each different um forest
1: or a different sub race. That's cool. I I have uh I don't have tieflings in my world and never have. Mm-hmm. But when I was running it as a Neverwinter Nights thing, I added half demon sub races for four of the races. Oh, cool. So one of my characters is a demon-blood human. Yeah, orcs get the demon blood, dwarves get the demon half-race, and gnomes get the demon (laughs) half-race. Yeah, gnomes are fun in my world. They're a little bit crazy, um, especially the males, because there are so many of them. I have it where, for gnomes in particular, three-quarters of them are, are males. And all the inheritances, the family names, the businesses uh it's all matriarchal and all passed down through the daughters and uh Nomish women have no problem, you know they will have two, three, four, five husbands, and they'll pick them for their different skills okay and so so like these, these gnomish males are like competing for the few the attention of the fewer females. And this, since there's so many of them, they're not, like, valued quite as much. Mm-hmm. And so they do the dangerous things like alchemy or becoming adventurers or talking to adventurers because, you know, adventurers are dangerous. But, but it's the women who are in charge in, in no much society. Okay. Just a little world flavor thing that has absolutely nothing to do with game mechanics. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it's a uh, it's a whole culture that you have that, um, you know, when it comes up, it comes up. That's cool.
1: Yeah. So lots of little things that can happen, everywhere. Just, I don't even remember why that one started. Just one day I was like, "Yeah, this particular nōmish woman has three husbands, uh, <laughs> and they're all different, like totally different." So. You know that's the way it is. Yeah, I did have one NPC like proposition one of the player characters in one of the one of the groups, um, because he was tall, and could reach things on high shelves, and that was just amusing to everybody.
0: Sometimes that's all you need is just being tall.
1: <laughs> um... I mean, she was drunk too, but
0: yeah sometimes all you need is to be drunk too <laughs> um is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch
1: on yet? Oh, um, not that I can think of at the moment uh oh, one of the discussions that's been going on uh on your discord server is about moons. Oh, uh, yeah, so I thought I'd actually touch on those yeah uh, sure that has has to do with my world's calendar as well. um, my world has two moons, right. One of them is full every 28 days. The other one is full every 21 days. Okay. I have them line up when they're full. It just happens to work out four times a year. There's a double full moon or double full moons.
0: Right.
1: Not a good time to be out when there's werewolves because they get much stronger. Um, But that also happens to be the first night of every month there's a full moon. And when the double full moons, that happens to be also line up with the start of a season. So the months in mine are 28 days long. All of them, they're all the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And they start out, they're named after the seasons. So you have spring dawn. That's the first month of spring. You've got mid spring. That's the second one. You've got spring dusk. That one is ending spring. And it just repeats for all the seasons okay wasn't my original intention but it happened to line up perfectly with the second moon coming around and being full every 4 months or every 3 months
0: yeah i was going to ask if you had thought about using a, a moon terminology for the instead of spring dawn like spring uh, waxing or something
1: i i i figured out you know it's starting it's the middle of it, it's the end, kind of like the day. So I'm like, dawn, midday, dusk. We'll just do that with the months. Yeah. Um, And then for, like, each month, I don't have days of the week. There's not a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The weeks are seven days long. But in the game and the people in the game basically tell you the day of the month. So it might be the, the 12th day of mid-spring the 21st day of Summer Dusk. Gotcha. They know that, you know, that 21st is after, like, three weeks. But they're not, you know, they don't really have a a weekend set.
0: (laughs) Uh, I kind of get that. If you have a a calendar that lines up that way, why would you bother having anything else?
1: And plus, I didn't want to use, like, the actual days of the week that we have. Because my world has two moons. Why would there only be one moon day? Why would there, you know, some worlds might have two suns. I don't. I have one. But I don't have a Sunday. I don't have a moon day. I don't have uh, the ancient god Tew or Woden right. or Thor or Frigga or Saturn. We don't need name, days named after them. <laughs> right. So I just didn't give them names. But yeah, that uh, is all with the moons. Uh. The moons are just normal moons. One is silvery gray like Luna, our moon. Uh, And that one's called Argenta because silver. Uh, And the other one is Verda, smaller green moon. And the only real influence they have is on the calendar. Happens to line up with the seasons because of convenience. And that's what you can do with a fake calendar. Yep. And it makes Lycanthrop stronger when they're both full.
0: So uh, I guess this isn't quite how it would work, but does it make the uh, lycanthropes weaker when they're both new?
1: No, then they're just they're, they're normal, you know.
0: Yeah, I know they'd be he- human. They'd be their like yeah. mortal forms instead of the yep. animal forms, but uh, I was just curious if they would be like
1: even more
0: mortal than animal in that case.
1: Nah. Okay. Yeah. They're very well hidden when they're not in their... They're hybrid or animal forms, yeah. uh, but when both moons are full, then they regenerate faster. And like you knock them down, they'll get back up, and they're bigger and stronger. So those are days when, those are nights when you just don't want to be out in the wilds. Uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine. But there's the thing, you know, multiple people in the Discord have talked about is the moons. So there's my moons. Yeah, there's your moons, Argenta and Verda. Yeah. Named after the color <laughs> for each of them. Silver and green. Yeah.
0: Uh, maybe when this episode comes out, we can reignite the moon conversation.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, it's uh, Aenea is a world I made up because I was poor as a teenager and just stuck with because then it was mine and I could do anything I want with it. Yeah. I've
0: pretty much done the same thing over here too. Do you have any uh, advice for other DMs that you want to give before we sign off?
1: Yes. Uh, don't overwork yourselves. This is a game. Yes, it's a involved game. There's a lot of writing creativity that goes into it. But don't... Unless you enjoy doing the extra like world-building stuff, maybe just have some really basic ideas, and don't bother fleshing stuff out until the players are going to be involved with it. Save yourself some effort. Enjoy your time. Unless that's your enjoyment. If your enjoyment is getting into the nitty-gritty details and, like, writing everything out, go ahead. Do it. But you don't have to. It's a game. A great game that I have been hooked on since I was in 7th grade, but... (laughs) Still a game. That's why it's fun. Yeah, and it will always be fun, no matter what Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro tries to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I was gonna add on to that. That um another thing when you're when you're designing stuff that you're not gonna just because it's fun. Um, you should remember your audience isn't necessarily your players in that circumstance. It might just be yourself.
1: um Oh yeah, yeah. It, do stuff that you're gonna enjoy make sure you are having fun with it because you are a player. You're the dungeon master, but you are playing a game. Still you are having fun. Should be having fun with it. Yes. yes.
0: Um, but it, yeah, like you should make stuff that's fun for you and you should be having fun with the game. That's definitely part of what I was saying there. Um, but I also meant that, uh, you know, if your players aren't interested in the stuff that you're designing, like that's not for them, then you shouldn't like force feed it to them either.
1: Yeah, well, that that's true too. Um, I'm a big proponent of uh, player initiated stuff. I had one player in person who was not happy with me not being not telling her what to do next, what the next step was. I prefer my personal players to have some motivation and and do some stuff. So for the DMs, the world builders out there. If the players aren't really going toward what you're really wanting, try to get them to go off on a direction that they want to go, and then take the thing you really want to do. Like maybe there's a a piece of it that you really want, like a dungeon or uh, a location that you really want them to see because you put in a lot of work planning on it. Move it into their path.
0: Woo, quantum over. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is the great thing about homebrew worlds is none of that stuff is canon you if they haven't encountered it you can put it anywhere you want Yeah, magic fountain sure ancient temple have at it oh yeah you, you know there was an earthquake and the road is blocked so you got to go around oh interesting there's this old ruin here <laughs> yeah well, you're not really railroading that way it's just, it happens to be there. So you get to, you know, even if they're not necessarily interested in following along with a particular story, elements of it, and even elements of your your story, your setting, you can put in their path, wherever they're going, and then they might become interested and tie it back to what you wanted. It's just in a more convoluted path.
0: Well, like you said, like, but- you're a player too, so I feel like you also yeah. want to play with people that are going to respect that. Uh, you know, I I designed an adventure that takes place in a you know a ruined temple, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if your players come upon a ruined temple, they have a responsibility to engage with the temple because yep. that's what you brought for them to play.
1: Yeah. Or well, there could be just like, uh, my particular players would go, "Ooh, what's that place? Let's go check it out." But there might be, you know catch a glimpse of something shiny or something that they're fighting runs off to there so that you know there's there's an enticement there too you can always work little things in um especially if you've been playing with your players for a little bit and you kind of know what you know makes them tick you can you can entice them if they're totally new players you can just say like during session zero hey people i'm providing a setting for you and adventure hooks but it's up to you to take an interest in things and grab those hooks. Yes. You don't have to take them all by any means. You're not going to take every adventure hook. And also as the DMs, if your players get fixated on something that has absolutely nothing to do with a pre-planned adventure, I suggest going with the flow, letting them investigate things and... In between sessions, perhaps try to come up with a way that that thing that they fixated on, links to where you want them to go. That way, they're getting to follow where they want, and the work you put into planning that, uh, that adventure, that that dungeon delve, that particular thing, isn't. You don't feel like it's wasted time just because they went off in a different direction. And hopefully you're having fun doing the planning so it won't feel like wasted time. Anyway, I'm going to say that's probably been plenty of talking from me. Um, I'm going to do some more talking next week in a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> cool. But uh, I have been listening to all of these, and it is very cool to hear everybody's uh, takes on their own world and their ideas for their own world to make it their own, which is the coolest thing about having a homebrew world. I mean you can have like Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk and you can have your own adventures in them but I think a homebrew world is more personal. Yeah, definitely. it, it And it's my preferred way as if, if I'm playing in a game I prefer to be in somebody's homebrew world because then I get to explore everything. I don't know everything that's there already. And I have a lot of like cultural references to like Forgotten Realms and stuff because I used to read the novels and play the video games and stuff like that, Mm. where a homebrew world is all new and it is wonderful. Even if it's like overused tropes or whatever, you're mixing them together in a different way.
0: Yeah. um, I brought up the Shannara series earlier. It's like all tropes and derivative stuff, but it's popular. People like it. So same thing can be true. If it's mixed
1: together in an entertaining way, or in a way that, you know, makes some sort of sense... And this is a world, d d is magic. Not everything has to make sense. <laughs> That's another thing for, yes. for for world builders and DMs out there. Not everything has to have an explanation. Sometimes it can just be, the magic's weird, man. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, there's a troll there. Not because you said it's been a while that w- since we faced a troll, which actually happened in one of my campaigns once. It's like, it's been a while since we faced a troll, and literally, the next room, I had planned a troll. That was just funny timing on their part. But it could be. Could be just because of magic. Yeah. Biggest thing to remember, D&D is a game. Everybody needs to have some fun. <laughs> Including so you. have fun creating.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Nathan. It was good having you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite you put out to everybody. It's it's nice and it I really do like listening about other people's worlds too. So yeah. I'm gonna say have a good night, have a good day, wherever you whenever you happen to be listening to this. Have fun.
0: Yeah. Take care.